Thanks, Andy. Just realized I left my glasses down there. Thank you, Glenn. He has risen. He is not here. We're, we're going to read those words in a moment from Mark's gospel, but can I invite all of, us, all of us to say them together again now? Let's say it together. He has risen. He is not here. L let's try say it again with oomph, okay? Ready? After three, one, two, three. He has risen. He is not here. That is the astonishing and life-changing good news that was announced on the very first Easter Sunday morning. Three women, uh, or at least in the version we're going to read this morning, three women were greeted with this information whenever they arrived to pay their respects at a grave where two days earlier the body, the corpse, the definitely dead body of Jesus had been laid to rest. He has risen. He is not here. And that's what we have been and that's what we are celebrating today. But let me, let me ask you a question. Do you like unexpected endings? Do you like unexpected endings? Endings maybe to a book or to a movie or to a TV drama that take you by surprise. Endings that leave you with lots of questions, maybe even leave you frustrated. Have you ever been there? It often happens in the final episode of a series. And so you can't wait for the next series because you can't quite believe where they left it or how they left it. You didn't think it would. You didn't think it should end there. Well, this morning as we turn to God's word and we read about resurrection day as described by the apostle Mark, there is a very real sense of an unexpected, surprising, frustrating ending. But although Mark's original ending is slightly frustrating, I want to suggest that it's also intriguing and that it's inspiring. So if you have a copy of the Bible with you, and it would be brilliant this morning if you did, and you'll see why in a moment. I'm not sure if you look it up on your device, it's going to have the same impact. But if you have a hard copy of God's Word with you this morning, I really would encourage you to bring one to church on Sundays. But if you do, it's going to make all the difference in the world. But if you do have a copy of God's Word, can you please turn to the final chapter in Mark's Gospel? So it's Mark 16. And if you have an NIV version of the Bible, here is what is said at the headline. It says, the Jesus has risen. Now, if you have a hard copy, how many people have got a hard copy or can see a hard copy of scripture? Right, a few people can. You will see that Mark 16 ends at verse eight. And then it says something like this. It's on the screen. Something along these lines. The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're only going to read the first eight verses of Mark 16. Because you see, there's every possibility that that's where Mark's original version ended. 
And although there is that alternative ending, verses 9 to 20 in our Bibles, and I would encourage you to read that alternative ending this afternoon, but there is every chance that Mark's surprising, unexpected ending at verse 8 is exactly where he meant to end it. It's where his record of events stopped. But as I've said, and I hope we'll get this this morning, there is an intriguing aspect to Mark's ending. And there's a number of exciting thoughts to consider as a consequence of Mark's frustrating ending. So, please stand with me for the public reading of God's always arresting word. It'll be on the screen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which had been very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples, tell Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you, trembling and bewildered, the women went out, fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Grab a seat. It's, uh, it's not what you expect. It's not what you expect on Resurrection Day. It's not what you expect on Easter Sunday that the last verse, the final verse we read together refers to people being scared, shaken, silent. Look at, the, look at verse eight, it's on the screen. The women are trembling. They are afraid. And they say nothing to no one, the end. Can't be the end. What were you thinking, Mark? Quick, let's read Matthew. Let's read Luke. Let's read John. But no. Let's end where Mark does this morning. And as we do that, and I know this is it's different. But as we do that, I want us to carefully consider what Mark does tell us in his final short chapter. So let's look at this carefully. It's pretty clear that the three women, and they're named, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, Salome. 
It's pretty clear that as they approached that tomb just after sunrise on Sunday morning, they were expecting to find a dead body. Any thoughts, any ideas about resurrection were not on their radar. Irrespective of what Jesus had predicted and said. The issue for them was how in the world are we going to shift that huge boulder that's blocking the entrance so that we can go in and anoint the body of Jesus. But as they get closer to the tomb, they look up and they see that the large stone has been rolled away. So problem sorted. But, but hang on a minute. Why has it been rolled away? What's going on? Now, if those three women at that point in time had turned and run, you would have understood tampered graves, opened graves are not welcoming places. And yet, the very next line tells us that the women entered the burial chamber. They walked on in. That was brave. That took courage. But when they step in, it says they're alarmed. If you've got a New Living Translation, it says they are shocked. They are completely taken aback. Because sitting on the right-hand side of the tomb is a young man. I've never seen him before. He's dressed in a white robe. And he speaks. And he says to them, Do not be alarmed which probably means that this was an angel because angels in the gospels have this habit of showing up at key moments and scaring people and then saying to them, don't be afraid. So every chance this was an angel. And then he speaks again and he says this, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And this, this, folks, this is the big, this is the main headline. This is the overarching message of Easter day and every day. He has risen. He is not here. Jesus is alive. Death didn't, death could not hold him. Crucified, yes. Buried, yes. But now, just as he said, just as he promised, he is alive. He's gone. He's on the move. Take a look around, ladies. See, the place is empty. You can only imagine how these three women are processing this information. This changes everything. It changes life from now on in light of everything that Jesus ever said and did, and it changes death forever. Maybe, just maybe, death is not the end. Maybe there's more. And whatever else we say about Easter, whatever else I share this morning, that is the main message. Jesus has risen. He is not there. And that fact alone, it alters our past, our present, our future. It refocuses the mind. It causes us to rethink our understanding of this life and the next. Jesus was crucified. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. But on the third day, he rose again. Jesus is alive. That's the main message. But notice what this young man says next. 
because the three women are invited to go and see him, to go and see the risen Jesus for themselves. So this is personal. Listen to the angel's instructions. Go, go tell the disciples and tell Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. It's incredible. And if you have a Bible open, flick back a couple of pages to chapter 14. And let me read what Jesus said to his disciples not long after they had eaten the last supper together. Here's what he said. It's on the screen. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus had explicitly told his disciples where he would be post-resurrection. Everything that Jesus had said would happen was happening. If you were here last Sunday, we noted how Jesus knew exactly where that donkey would be tied up and what would happen whenever the two disciples untied the donkey. During that last supper, Jesus predicted that one of his disciples would betray him. And sure enough, one of his disciples did betray him. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus predicted that he would be mocked, spat upon, flogged, killed. And on Good Friday, he was. But now he is alive again, just as he predicted. And he's gone to Galilee, just as he said. And we can, and we should, and we must always take Jesus at his word. That is what the resurrection confirms. That is what the resurrection clarifies. Always, always take Jesus at his word. What he says is true. What he says is right. What he says will happen. But back to this angelic instruction, because there's two aspects of it that I want to highlight, and the two aspects are the place and the people. The place. Where are they to go? Galilee. Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. Why there? This is really, really important. But why is Jesus, why did he predict that he would go there post-resurrection? Let me suggest three reasons. The first is, this was home. This was home. This was where the women, this was where the disciples, at least all of them bar Judas, but he was now dead. This was where all of them came from. And so they needed to go back there to meet the risen Jesus, back to their families, back to their friends, back to their neighborhoods, back to their communities. And there on home turf, they will see Jesus. They will encounter Jesus. They will share Jesus. And you know something? So can we and so must we. And secondly, this was where Jesus spent most of his life in ministry. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem in Judea, but he only stayed there for a matter of weeks. Then he moved to Nazareth in Galilee, which is why the angel said in verse 5, Jesus the Nazarene. And so Galilee was where Jesus did most of his living, most of his teaching, most of his storytelling. It was where he performed many of his miracles. And therefore, going back to Galilee was going to cause people there to reconsider everything that Jesus had said and done in light of his resurrection. You see, if Jesus really is alive again, you see, if Jesus really is back here 
just as he predicted, then all his words, all his actions need to be revisited. Because he said he was going to die, but he also said he was going to rise again, and he has rose again, and he's back here. Everything he said, we need to go back and read it and listen to it again. Which is why whenever you finish reading Mark 16, and Jesus is in Galilee, you need to go back again to Mark chapter 1, where in verse 9 it tells us Jesus is in Galilee. You need to read it all again. And you need to read it all again. And you need to read it all again because this is dynamic and it keeps moving and it keeps going around. We need to keep reading and telling the story. And the third reason why Galilee it was home for the disciples and the women. It was home for Jesus where he had lived and ministered. And the third reason why Galilee because it was known as Galilee to the nations. Now, those of you who know Scripture will know that in Isaiah chapter 9, that familiar chapter where we read, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, familiar Christmas words, that in the very first verse of Isaiah 9, he refers to Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, Galilee was a place that was surrounded and inhabited by many nations and people groups. And so Jesus spending so much of his life there and then going back there post-resurrection was really important because the reality of a risen Jesus needed to be taken to and needed to be taken from a place where all the nations could hear it. Galilee was that place. And it's a reminder that the Easter message, the angel's declaration, he has risen, still needs to be taken to and from a place where all people of every tongue, tribe, and nation will hear that he has risen. That's why Jesus goes back to Galilee. The place. But what about the people? Look again at verse 7. Who are the women meant to go and tell? And here's what he says. Go, tell his disciples and Peter. Why is Peter singled out? Well, again, you've got a copy of God's word. Go back two chapters to Mark 14, where Jesus predicted now hear this, get this. All his disciples would fall away. Here's what Jesus said in Mark 14. You will all fall away. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And as we all know, all Jesus' disciples fell away. But whenever Peter heard Jesus predict that, he challenged them. Peter made it clear, listen Jesus, I hear what you're saying, we're all going to fall away, but you see, if everyone else messes up, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. And yet we all know what happened. Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him not once, but three times and yet again, exactly 
what Jesus said happened. So all the disciples blew it. Peter did it in style, for want of a worse phrase. And therefore, these words of the angel, the instruction to the three women, go and tell the disciples and Peter, those are, please hear this this morning, those are profound words of hope and renewal on this Easter Sunday. Profound words of hope and renewal in light of the resurrection. In the wake of the resurrection, a new day has dawned. Mess-ups, denials, failures can be forgiven. Slates can be wiped clean. New beginnings are offered. God instructs the ladies, go tell the disciples, go tell Peter to go to Galilee and join me again. Be with me again. Failure isn't final. As one commentator has written, in this command of the angel to the women lies the promise of forgiveness and restitution of a renewed call and a fresh start for the disciples who are chastened by failure and empowered by the resurrection. You see, no matter what you have done or haven't done, grace awaits in the light of the first Easter. And so if you're here this morning, and thank you for being here this morning, if you're here this morning and you feel unworthy or you're falling away or you're falling away and you feel excluded and you haven't really been able to enter into this idea of a happy day, because of some of the mistakes that you've made or you're making, please realize there's a way back. There is a welcome. There is a renewal offered to those close. He has risen. Jesus is alive, and therefore there is new life. There is forgiveness. There is restitution. There is hope. And today screams it like no other. So let's go back to Mark 16. Because the women were to go. And they were to tell the disciples. And they were to tell Peter to get themselves to Galilee and to meet Jesus. But according to Mark, they didn't. According to verse 8, where his original ending finishes, according to verse 8, they froze. They're frightened. They tell no one. They're scared. They're shaking. They're silent. And there it ends. So it ends. Unexpectedly, surely, that's what we think. Surprisingly, frustratingly, what's going on? Well, maybe, 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 just maybe. Maybe Mark ends there. Because you see, he wants and he invites his readers to take it from there. You see, the good news of Jesus Christ can't and doesn't end in silence. We all know that. We are living proof of that here today. 
Ever since the first Easter morning, the declaration, he has risen, that declaration has been taken, it's been shared, it's been heard for centuries. It's what we're doing, it's what we have done for years and years and years. We will continue to do for years and years and years. And the other gospel writers tell us how that started out initially. But Mark, what does Mark do? Mark puts the ball very much in his reader's court. He puts it in our court. He tells us, Jesus is alive. Jesus has gone before you now over to you. Over to you. We, like the women were instructed, have got to get on the move. We have got to go and take the message of a risen Jesus back into the Galilee of our daily lives back onto our home turf and to the nations. And so one of the key questions we face this morning is this. Are we going to run away and hide in silence, knowing that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but too frightened to tell anyone? Or are we going to go from here to proclaim the good news of the risen Jesus to the people we live with, the people we work with, the people of South Belfast, and into a wider world? It may be an unexpected, unsatisfactory ending to Mark's gospel, but in some ways it's over to you and to me to continue this story. And for those who are here this morning and you have fallen and you are falling away, this day reminds us, God has not given up on you. Renewal and restoration are within reach of every single one of us. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And so yes, Mark's ending's intriguing. But I want to suggest to you it's inspiring. Because it says, okay, church, you know where this goes. Are you going to take it? Are you going to share the risen Jesus in the Galilee of your daily lives on your home turf? Are you going to share the risen Jesus with the nations? Or are you going to be silent? This is not a day silence. And so we're going to stand together and we're going to finish with a great song, See What a Morning Gloriously Bright. And I encourage you to sing it with all your heart and then I encourage you to go and share the risen Jesus in the Galilee of your home. Let's stand together as we sing.